Al Anderson Afternoons, the podcast. Hello, welcome, and thank you for checking out the podcast. Coming up, Mitchell Rear. He is putting together a documentary all about Salisbury House, and he wants your stories. That's coming up on the podcast. Also on the podcast today, Mark Critch. You know him from this hour, has 22 minutes. He's got a new book out called Son of a Critch, a Childish Newfoundland Memoir. And we'll get reaction to the Pallister government's throne speech today from the leader of the opposition, NDP boss, Wab Canoe. Please rate the podcast. Please subscribe to the podcast. And now, the podcast. Mitchell Rear, he is the producer and co-director of a documentary... That is in the works, working title, Sal's Stories. It's going to be all about Salisbury House and uh, Cameron Poitras producing the show. Notice this on Reddit. He was looking for, uh, uh, Mitchell was looking for stories about Salisbury House. And uh, Mitchell, this is a great idea. Thanks for coming in. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, so. uh, let me ask you a quick question. I didn't do a very good job here uh, because what I should have is I should have some nips for us. <laughs> and apparently Salisbury House has a great beer yeah, now. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So uh, I am, uh, I guess it was, I'll say I'm a frustrated documentary uh, <laughs> filmmaker because I've never done it, but I've always wanted to yeah, do it. Yeah. And it really does start with the story, doesn't it? Mm-hmm, it, exactly. it had the subject matter. And this is a great uh, base for a documentary. Tell us how yeah. this all came so, about. So essentially, we originally started this project as a uh, student film. It's now grown a little bit more into an independent film. Um, we're treating Salisbury House as as kind of a character within the city of Winnipeg, because it really is. Uh, everybody knows the red roof. Everybody knows the iconic, like the nip, the beer now. Everybody knows, you know, all day breakfast, things like that. Uh, it's been around since 1937. There's locations all over the city. Burton Cummings, you know, big names. Owned it at one yeah. point. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, big big names in the city. So, what better to to tell um, a story about the city than the people who who visit these restaurants? You know. So mm-hmm. I really wanted to get those, you know, those heartwarming stories of you know families meeting after um, family reunions before Christmas on Christmas Eve. Yeah. Uh, after a bomber game, you know, going to a, a Salisbury house and getting breakfast. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of getting those stories of you know young couples meeting. Um, there's a, a, a gentleman I just interviewed um, the other day who has been working there since he was 16 years old, wow. since 1968. It's his 50th year working at the same restaurant, same kitchen, you know. So it's just it's, – it's that heartwarming story, you know, that tells – both the Winnipeg tale and the heritage of the city and kind of blends together, you know, the stories mm. that have are within the city, you know. Yeah. And will you look at why uh, Salisbury House has become so popular yeah. here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because really I think that's a that. really interesting part of the story for me. Mm-hmm. Why this little restaurant chain exactly. became such a big deal here. Yeah, and it's, it's really... And it's close to everybody's hearts, you know. It's more everybody that I've been talking to, whether they be young or old, um, they've all said it's a sense of community, and that's why they love going there. Is it's it's not just a place to eat, but it's a place where you can eat, you can you can talk. People aren't just you know sitting on their phones. There's they're they're talking to each other, they're engaging, whether it be family or friends or even just meeting people for the first time. You know, it's a great place to come together. But yeah, it's really it's about how this um, this small chain of restaurants eventually kind of grew into this like iconic Winnipeg thing. And because it is iconic in in Winnipeg and in Manitoba itself, that you can't really take the red roof and throw it in another city because yeah. it is it just doesn't fit. It doesn't right. have that heritage, you know. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's really looking at 
at piecing everything together is is what we're we're really we're really interested in all the the nitty gritty and the fun details and and because there's a new location opening up next year in the Exchange District hmm. and um, because Sal's has a, a long history and a longevity within the city we were really interested to see how it's going to uh, the new new location in the Exchange District is going to affect this new market like the new young crowd I'm mm. in university myself right my fourth year in University of Winnipeg so what it's going to be like for a whole bunch of um, young businesses and um, young university students to have that sales experience kind of close to home, you know, yeah. like an exchange district. And can the tradition and the history continue? Yeah, like that legacy kind yeah. of grows into a ne- the next generation, the mm. millennial generation, the new, like more people my age, I'm yeah. 21, so... Yeah. yeah. So where, which university are you at? I'm in the University of Winnipeg. I'm okay. in my fourth year in the film department. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so where is this at now? You're you're looking for stories. You yeah. haven't even started filming. We've, we haven't started necessarily filming. We we really want to get more um, audio first. We really want to get that story built um, from the ground up. So we've been we've been talking to um, employees, staff members, customers, longtime. Um, fans, newcomers, everyone that just yeah. has stories about you know about the Sal's experience and mm-hmm. and how um, Salisbury House itself has like a kind of it has a memory to you know yeah. to people in the city. So yeah, we're we're just asking for anyone that has uh, Sal's stories or anyone that you know even if you just have like you love you love like something like the breakfast or the yeah. red red velvet cake or something like that like yeah. it's a food item that you love I to go to. I forgot about the red velvet. The red cake, velvet yeah. cake is it's underrated. Not yeah. a lot of people forget about it. It's it's one of my personal favorites, and I'm not gonna lie. I might have had some before I came here. Yeah, okay. It's, it's, well, so there you go. You knew I wasn't going to have salads for it's, you, so you went and had idea. some. Well, yeah. thanks for bringing us some. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks a lot, I'm, Mitch. I should have brought everybody Give the guy a chance to get on the air <laughs> yeah. here and get Saul's story That's how for it his works. Uh, documentary and yeah. nothing. Nothing. Yeah, no, I know. I should have brought some in. I'm so sorry. How can people get a hold of you if you have a story the, or if they want to share some ideas with I'm, you? I'm on social media, so you can find me uh, just um, Mitch Rear, M-I-T-C-H-R-E-A-R, either on Facebook or Instagram. We we also have a dedicated email just for uh, contact. It's salstories2018 at gmail.com. Okay, salstories2018 um, at gmail.com. Yep, and then that's basically it. So anyone that wants to send in either text-based or audio-based um, stories, or if you would like, I've been in contact with some people that it's easier if they just met up at a location. Mm-hmm. I, it's the best place to have an interview yeah. is because we can sit down, we can have a nip, we can talk about kind of, yeah. you know, what, what they'd like to talk about about the restaurant. And, yeah. you know, you know, it's great. So you are a fan of Salisbury House. Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. this, like, this isn't just, uh, hey, here's a great story. No, 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 you no, no. really See, like it, the product. It all really started, um, it started as like a couple group of friends that are filmmakers. We're all, we're all just friends. And it became uh, a running theme with all of our films that we've ever shot that once we were finished our film, it, we just ended up in a Salisbury house. And we would be at a Salisbury house at one in the morning after working for 12 hours and we were eating and we were saying, well, why don't we just go to all of them? We'll go to every single Salisbury house. <laughs> we'll just experience every single one. We'll yeah. have everything on the menu, and we'll just turn it into a full, you know, we'll make a film out of it. You know, yeah. it'll be a feel-good movie. And then we started running with it, and then we noticed how many people, our friends and families that have stories yeah. and, like, really connected with the restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, and we were like, well, maybe we shouldn't focus on us, but just kind of, like, the ent- the entity that is the stories of Salisbury House, you know, and how it relates to the city and the heritage of the city and kind of, like, people within the city, you know. Yeah. So we were just like, well— 
all right, then I guess we're just going to have to contact Salisbury House. And sure enough, I just, I happen to know some people there, the marketing team and a few people, and I got in contact with them and they love the idea mm-hmm. of me just, you know, getting to know more people in the city and getting to know the people who, who go there and so visit there. So they're a willing participant. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're very much, you know, they're excited to hear about it and they're excited to, you know, more stories about the story. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I'm very excited to continue with it and see how, how far we can like flesh yeah. out the entirety of, of where it's going to go for yeah. sure. When Cam told me, I said, man, that's a great idea because I do know the importance of that subject matter, that story, the yeah. what's going to be the focus. And, and certainly in Winnipeg and Manitoba, you say mm-hmm. Sal's and everybody yeah. knows exactly what that is. Everybody knows, yeah. And I just, uh, I interviewed a um, two gentlemen who were musicians. I just interviewed them uh, maybe about 10 a.m. this morning at the Pemina location. And they're, yeah, they're two gentlemen, they're 70s, they're former musicians, and they remember back when they were, you know, my age you know, in the 60s and the 70s when they would go out and they would play jazz band out in Portage La Prairie or whatever they would play. They'd do these gigs late night. And then they obviously knew Burton Cummings went to Salisbury House, so they would go and then they yep. would eat and then they all their fans and friends would come. So, yeah, it like because of these, these and everyone has those little, you know, those thread line stories, those little unique independent things that run into each other, each other or, you know, couples that never knew each other and then randomly met at a Sal's and then yeah. it's, it, they, you know, they go on to get married and things like that. It's so. that warm and fuzzy place, yeah, right? It's, it's about it's, comfort and it's about exactly. uh, something you know. You see that red roof and, and you know yeah, exactly yeah, what you're It's a getting. family. It's a sense of community. And yeah. I think it really it really encompasses where people want to yeah. go. I, I guarantee you uh, that when Burton Cummings bought in, mm-hmm. that Salisbury house on Main Street, the little one on Main Street there, mm-hmm. that's at the end of his mom's street. I mean, right. he grew up in a house right. on, on not, if not that street, within a couple of streets. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, uh, you're right. And, and when it comes to late night Dining exactly. right after the bar or whatever. I mean, yeah. Sal's is bar a, games, Jets yeah, games. Both that see that stuff. thing is now you have two generations of Jets fans. Yeah. You have old and new That's that true. love to go before and after games, and even you know current Jets like current Jets go there. I've I've ran into Nick Ehlers at a at a Salisbury house one time with yeah. a group of friends after going. Uh, I think it was like right after the Minnesota series. Yeah. So and it, there's all these you know crazy things that like you know everybody has these little stories and everybody has these this connection to this red roof. So I just mm-hmm. I love the entity of it and I thought what what's better than a Winnipeg story than you know yeah. you know Salisbury house because it's 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 exactly like it's a comfort food and everybody yeah. loves to you know who doesn't love to go get all day breakfast. I'll no. tell you what Mitch it's a great idea. I wish I had <laughs> thought of it because I, I'm that guy wanting to make a documentary thing and well, I got to find the time and then I got to find the story and you found a great story so uh, do me a favor uh, stay in touch Absolutely. and then as For it goes sure. along we'll get you in and, and obviously we want you here when it's done so everybody can see it yeah absolutely once it's once it's all finished and said and done and all the you know I's yeah. dotted and T's been crossed I'll definitely be releasing it uh, it'll be in a few film festivals and it'll be online but it'll definitely be focused around Winnipeg for sure and any time any idea on, on a timeline like how long is this going to take you? Um, we have a deliverable. It's also, we're going to be handing it in uh, as a university project as well for yeah. my final year. It's going to be one of my thesis projects. So it will be handed in um, by the time this December rolls around. So we'll have a final cut of the film roughly by uh, middle of December, hopefully. This December? This December, hopefully. So this yeah. is going to be fast, Oh, yeah, eh? we, have a, we have a quite fast turnaround. Wow. Um, it's not going to be a full feature length film. Right. Uh, we, we are working on a more shorter um, length base. Yeah. So around maybe 25 minutes is ideally Still. like 20, well, that's a lot minutes. to get done in exactly. that amount of time. We have, wow. a, we have a good team of, of guys that I've been working with for a while, and oh, they, cool. they, they know exactly what they're doing, and uh, I trust them, and they trust yeah. me. So, yeah, no. I'm excited to see it, man. It's a great idea. Mitch Thank you so Rear, much. producer and co-director, Sal's Stories. We'll let you know when it's available for your viewing. 
Look at this. Only the big stars on this show. Uh, there he is, Mark Critch, son of a Critch, a childish Newfoundland memoir, his new book, and he is in studio here at CJOB to talk about it. Hey, Hal, how you nice doing? Nice to meet you. Very exciting to meet you, sir. The greatest Canadian. Oh, yeah. A, a legend in uh, Canadian broadcasting. Very and, exciting. And uh, and uh, hated at CBC because I ruined, as, as your friend Rick Mercer said when he was here a week or so ago, he said, ruined a perfectly good CBC show you did. Oh, I, I think Rex Murphy was ticked because <laughs> he was hawking Trudeau, I <laughs> That's think. Right, and yes. you made it that little bit harder. Uh, yeah. Like, you came in ahead of prime ministers. I was ahead of prime ministers. Uh, I like the the guy on the $5 bill is Sir Wilfred Laurier. Laurier, think, right? yeah. I'm ahead of him. Well, I beat Mr. Dress-Up. I beat Mr. Dress-Up. Now, now, you feel a little guilty there. I did feel guilty right? about that. The, the Prime I, Ministers, I really that's fine. Yeah, but Mr. Poor Mr. Dress-Up. And I also felt bad that I bumped Gordy Howe out of the top 50. He was 51 because I was 34. Now, that's an effect on Canadian history right <laughs> no, there. Years not. from now, that'll all be put no, in like not. a little probe yeah. and sent out to the far reaches of space. Aliens <laughs> will think that you're far better than Gordy Howe. I appreciate you bringing up the fact that I'm on that list, and I will melt that till the day I die. Oh, it will boy, probably be on my tombstone. As someone who tries to prank uh, Canadians many times and do different things over the years on 22 Minutes. Yeah. I, I, we, we all bowed our heads to you then. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. This book, I've read portions of it, and yeah. I'm anxious to find time to sit down and read all of it. I, I love this. Um, and your dad worked at VOCM Radio. Yeah. And your, your brother now is the program director? Yeah, there? he's a morning guy there on their sister station, the FM station, K-Rock. And, uh, yeah, Dad was had an old dad growing up. Uh, dad passed away a couple years ago at the age of 93. He was the last living uh, journalist to have covered Confederation with Canada. <laughs> wow. Uh, yeah, when Newfoundland joined yeah, now, yeah. Not, not John A. days. Yeah. But, um, and uh, he was a, he was much like yourself, you know, he's a staple of, of Newfoundland radio. Yeah. Uh, and uh, and that would make me, I guess, you know, a, a second generation Canadian because we yeah. joined in '49. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and so radio was loomed large in my life. We lived right next to the radio station because you think of Newfoundland, you think of lighthouse keepers. Dad was a lighthouse keeper for a radio station because back in those days, there's no cell phones, hard to get people. Yeah, and we lived right next to the radio station in case of dead air or yeah. uh, DJs always getting locked outside. You know, somebody couldn't make it in a storm or whatever. Yeah, and he and was so there. He was right there, and so uh, th but this was like way out on the Transcanada Highway, the very edge of St. John's. There's nothing around except a couple of car lots, a couple of farms <laughs> down the road. It was a lonely existence for yeah. little Mark Critch. Yeah. So did your dad being a performer yeah. of sorts, did that lead you down that road as well, do you think? Or have you ever thought about that? Uh, yeah, very much so. I guess he grew up around broadcasting. And of course, in in uh, in, Can in Newfoundland, the politicians, you know, sort of like they are here, are become, you know, caricatures because these big, almost like wrestlers, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and and it becomes a blood sport in, in, yeah. in Newfoundland politics. Everybody talks about it. I mean, you just had uh, my buddy Rick Mercer here. Yeah. And, you know, he grew up the same way. People arguing about politics at the, at the dinner table. And, um, and then, of course, you know, the prime minister, Joey Smallwood, uh, when he was out of politics but would still be in the in the news, uh, I'd see him. He'd pull up into the parking lot of the station, and Dad would rush out with a, with a microphone and a tape recorder, <laughs> tape him through the window because Joey wouldn't go in the station, you know? And then he'd, and he'd take off again. So you'd get to see around all this kind of stuff. So it's pretty exciting. You yeah. want to run away and join the circus when you got that kind of stuff in your blood. Well, I'll tell you, this must be a good book because you've got people on the back. I was like, wow, what a list of people saying nice things about you and your book. 
Gordon Pinsent. Gordon I mean, Pinsent, the Codfather, the wow. Newfoundland Pope. That was pretty exciting. Yeah, Gordon. No kidding. Is, he's a great guy, you yeah. know. And I'm lucky enough to meet him several times and become a friend of his. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, I was pretty pretty tickled that he he'd give us a blurb. Alan Doyle, great big C. Yeah, saying nice things about you. Anne Murray. Anne Murray. That's a pretty pretty big one. I mean, you know, growing up a young Canadian boy. I mean, there can't be a bigger star than Anne Murray. And she she was kind enough to read the book, and she gave us one me my one of my nicest compliments. So speaking about my mom, she said, I wish I had known your mom. I, I fell in love with her reading the book. And, you know, if mom could hear that Anne Murray wanted to meet her. Oh, yeah. oh boy. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. I remember the time I told my mom that I interviewed Rita McNeil. Oh, well, come on. I hit a different level. Right? Come on. With my mom. Oh, I mean, my mom loves me. Yeah. And she's proud of me. But oh, when yeah. I said, I taught, or the other one that she was blown away by was Tommy Hunter. When I interviewed Tommy Hunter and I told my mom, she was like, come on. Canada's country gentleman. Yes. And I bet you knocked him off the list too, didn't you? No, I don't think he even was on the list. But, I uh, wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe I did knock him off the list. I just want to read a, a little portion here just to give okay, people a please. sense of what the book's like, and then I want you to talk about it. Uh, it says here in the cover of the book, uh, here we find a young Mark trick-or-treating at a used car lot, getting locked out of school on a fourth-floor window ledge, faking an asthma attack to avoid being arrested by military police, trying to buy beer from an untrustworthy cab driver, shocking his parents by appearing naked on stage, and much more. What more could you jam into this book? <laughs> It was an odd little childhood. Grew up, went to Catholic school there. And the weird thing about that was because growing up, I didn't really see any more than two kids at a time until I went to kindergarten. And Ma didn't really prepare me in the best way. She basically put a backpack on me and shoved me out the door and said, good luck. And I said, what? And I get on the bus. I'd never seen that many kids in one place. Then we get, and I see all these other buses showing up in the parking lot. And then I get to the school. And that's filled with kids. I thought, what the heck is going on? So it was... Uh, I was kind of like Jay Goodall with the uh, gorillas in the mist, kind of writing down, <laughs> oh, they're playing tag. What is this game? There's a thing called recess. We must learn. <laughs> and so that was a bit rough. So it was uh, an, uh, a lot of uh, misunderstandings going to school yeah. because I was obviously, you know, the, the, the odd man out, the, the weakest kid, kid in the, in, on, the, uh, on the playground. So um, it had a lot of wild adventures there. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I got locked out on the fourth floor floor window ledge by the guys playing a prank on me and uh, kind of had to circle my way around the school to get back in without a nun getting me and uh, <laughs> a million other things like that. And and so it's all in the book there. Looking back, it's interesting to look back because I have a son who's 15 and I'd write a chapter and pass it to him and he'd go, <gasps> what? This this can't be true. This didn't happen. I said, yeah, 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 but that's not the point. That's just the way things were then. You know, I was like, a nun hit you with a piece of leather? I was like, yeah, yeah, but that was, that was just the morning. Like, uh, yeah. And so anyway, so it's interesting to see your life through other people's eyes like that. And people yeah. come up and ask questions of things they've read in the book and – Oftentimes, not even things you realize was uh, was was noteworthy. But but it's uh, it's been great to get across the country and 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 to meet different people and hear what they think and stuff like that. And 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 in a completely different way from just doing the comedy. That must have been cool being able to share chapter by chapter with your son, eh? Oh yeah, absolutely. Because we didn't. Dad never wanted to you know, research the family or anything yeah. like that. Because dad would always say, uh, people do their family trees. They spend all this money trying to find out where they came from. And then they spend twice as much trying to cover it back up again. <laughs> and, and and I realized, like, I looked into that why. And then, you know, dad grew up, uh, you know, during the Depression. He was born in 1921. Yeah. His father died of TB. 
Wow. That's how poor things were in Newfoundland Gee. then before Confederation. His his father, his my gra- great grandfather, he drowned. You know, as he was a fisherman, his father drowned. So it was like drowning, drowning, drowning. TB Gee. radio was the yeah. great savior of our <laughs> lives. Kidding. You know, and uh, and so it's interesting. Then you see how you know how much in just a generation or or, or two a family can change. So um, yeah, to pass that along was to to my son was was, was pretty exciting. Did you get? Did you? You said your dad passed away a few years ago. Yeah. Did he get a chance to see you doing your stuff oh, on, yeah. on this hour as twenty two minutes? He and, certainly did. And doing what the, did he think? Because now he's an old school journalist, you know, news guy. Oh yeah, and, he, and yeah. you're mocking it in many ways. Oh, very much. It was fake news. And for him, like you know, you get an interview with the prime minister. It's a serious thing. And you like, photo. You photobombed uh, oh, Justin, Justin Trudeau. Oh my God. Well, I started interviewing Justin before he was ever in politics, and then we. I mean, I've done dozens of interviews with with uh, with Justin, and you know, and all the guys up there. And so, and Kretchen was my, you know, first prime minister I interviewed, but dad would be, you know, kind of, you know, a little bit proud of that, but then a little bit by embarrassed by what you did. You know, right, kind of sure. like, what are you doing? You had a ch- <laughs> what are you doing? It's like, well, Dad, we had, can't be real news. Like, yeah. You should have asked him this. But uh, yeah, I learned a lot about that, though, it, preparing in the same way that he did. I mean, he'd go home back in the days before the internet, of course, and he'd be cutting out clippings from the newspaper and putting them in little envelopes with people's names on it. So down the road, if something happened, he'd be flipping through, looking for those clippings. Say, oh, wait a minute, that's not what he said last time. Let me look that up. And then when I started writing on 22 Minutes, there was no, we didn't have the internet at work or anything like that. So I would be doing that. I had a little clipping envelope and I'd yeah. be like, wait a minute, that's not what Gretchen said about <laughs> education. Hang on a second. You go yeah. through, ah, I've got it. And so, uh, yeah, so it's, it's very much, it's a, you know, it's, it's sort of what, uh, you know, he did, but, but in a slightly different way. Yeah. Do you go into, you talk about your family and growing yeah. up in Newfoundland. Do you also go into your time on television and all that kind of stuff? Or is it more about you and growing up? It's just basically a story about a, a kid growing up, you know, uh, in the 80s. Uh, uh, Which you to, said was like the 60s, really. Yeah, well, the 80s in Newfoundland was very much like the 60s, especially yeah. with religion and stuff, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, those, ca- you know, the, the nuns brought us up and uh, they were pretty strict. And, you know, you, you, didn't, you didn't go hang out with the Protestants kids because yeah. you, you, not only would you uh, go to hell, you might get beaten up on the way. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't really get, uh, it starts off with uh, a, a little story about being on the uh, prime minister, with the prime minister going over to Vietnam, we were with the media and, and we got on the on his plane. So uh, I was reading a little story about that and, and that's because uh, at that time, that's when my mom kind of started to get a little bit sick. And then by the time I had I had finished this book, and my mom had passed away, so she knew I was writing the book, mm. but she she didn't get the chance to read it, and uh, so that was kind of, that was very rough. But yeah. uh, uh, so there's an epilogue then talking about that, but um, she never got to read it. But it's really exciting to. You know, be here now with you in Winnipeg, yeah. and this is her story, and there's a picture of her and on the be, back. And to be talking about her, and I can see the emotion in yeah. your eyes right now yeah. as you say that, it, which is so sweet. Well, it's lovely because, like, you know, you know, your parents pass away, and we all go through this. But uh, um, when I talk about the book with people, and and when we have like this, we're having an event this evening here in yeah. Winnipeg, and and your, and your mom lives on. Oh my gosh! You get to hear yeah. not only that, but I remember the first time I did a little Q and A with an audience after talking about the book. A nice lady in Toronto stood up and she asked me a question about my mother, and I said, "How did you know that? Did you know the, my mother?" And she said, "No, it's in your book." Said, oh, right, right. <laughs> you know, it's, it takes yeah. a little while to realize that these stories are out there yeah. to yourself, but yeah, it keeps their memory alive, and, and I very much feel like they're with me every step of the way and, and talking about them. Just makes you know, uh, you know, you find you find a bit of joy in everything, and, and you can even find a little bit of joy in loss. Yeah. yeah. Mark, really nice to meet you. Thanks for coming in. And the book is called Son of a Critch. Love the name. (laughs) Son of a Critch, a childish Newfoundland memoir. Mark Critch. Thanks for coming in. Really appreciate it.
As you heard in the news there, Donna Foxhall on the Palestine government's throne speech and with opposition reaction now, NDP leader Wab Canoe joins us on the phone. Good afternoon, Wab. Hello. Uh, hang on, Wob. We're having phone problems here. Have you got uh, Wob potted up in there, Camp? Yeah, he's potted hey, up. Hello. There yes. you are. Okay. Excellent. Hey, sorry about no, that. No, it's not. It's oh, trust me. It's our problem. <laughs> trust me. It's our problem. Um, I don't think we had new phones in the throne speech. I'm not sure. I'll have to go back and check. Um, well, one of the things I do want to do is make cell phone uh, bills more affordable. I know. But, uh, I w- we're going to get to that. I did not talk about that. Yes, yeah. I, and I want to get to that because that was in your alternative uh, throne speech a week or so ago. Now, yeah. what surprised me, and, and front and center in your alternative to this throne speech, is the meth crisis. And yet, in the Pallister government's throne speech, very little mention of the problem at all. I, I'm surprised at that. Well, this is such a big issue in Winnipeg. Every day there's a story in the media. Every uh, conversation that I have with a a Winnipegger seems to mention like a family member who's struggling with this or like a a car that's been uh, broken into, garage that's been broken into as a result of meth. And yet the government only mentioned it very briefly. And when they did, they only talked about it in terms of law and order. They didn't talk about it in terms of treatment. And even the chief of police himself says, we got to deal with the root cause. we got to deal with addiction. So the solution here is treatment, and yet there was no mention of treatment for meth in the throne speech today, which is uh, it's a big missed priority. And I think it shows the government's not listening to what Winnipeggers want and what Manitobans want in reaction to the meth crisis. Why do you think it's absent? Because it is a, a huge issue. Is it because they don't want to spend the money uh, to fix the problem or they don't have a plan? What would your uh, uh, thoughts be on that? I think part of it is what you're saying. Like this government, it's always about cutting costs. It's always about saving money. And yet even when there's a real crisis that demands government response, like the meth issue is in Winnipeg right now, they seem to put that, that money consideration ahead of the impact of uh, that it's going to have on the people. And so I think that's a big part of it. I think uh, another side of it is just uh, they're making cuts across health care. And the real solution to, to the meth crisis is mental health and addictions. And yet we see that they're laying the, the groundwork for even more cuts in health care with this throne speech. You know, they're mentioning cancer care by name, which to me is a concern. That organization works well. It's, it's serving its, its patients quickly. And the experts are saying uh, cancer care is good. So with the government putting that on their radar now, it seems like maybe the reason the meth crisis isn't getting the attention is because they're still obsessed with these uh, health care cuts that they've been rolling out across uh, their operation. Now, Wab, it wasn't your uh, government, but it was the previous mm-hmm. NDP government in the province of Manitoba that some would say spent too much money and we've got to get the books in order. And this government was elected to do that. And so they're doing what they were elected to do. Well, the, do you, do the you take any, like, do you... As you go to yeah. work every day, I'm just curious, like, do you take any responsibility or, or do you think we need to get back to those days of, of and I'll just tell you, and I've said that on the air, I, I think we spent too much money over the years. We do have to balance the books. No question about that. And in the throne speech alternative that I gave out, we, we costed everything and everything would actually save money or it wouldn't uh, make uh, the deficit any larger. So that is a big priority to me. But I think we gotta we got to recognize that if we're not making the right investments, that's actually going to cost us more. 
So if we're not spending the money today to help somebody get off of meth and get into a treatment bed, we're going to be serving that person with a fire truck and with an ambulance on the street when they OD. We're going to be locking that person up in uh, the remand center when they uh, commit a crime. We're going to be treating that person in the emergency room when uh, they need health care. And that's way more expensive. It's way more expensive to care for somebody in the ER as opposed uh, to a treatment bed. So, yeah, we got to move to balance, but I think we got to do it in a way that uh, isn't short-sighted. We got to recognize that sometimes uh, spending a dollar today is going to allow us to save ten dollars tomorrow. Hey, one more question on this throne speech, and then I'll give you yep. last word to talk about what you had in in your uh, alternative throne speech. This yep. idea of roadside prohibition—that's what they're calling it. Basically, mm-hmm. they would do with drunk drivers what they're doing with distracted drivers now. That person would lose their license on the spot. What do you think of that? Well, I think uh, if this is going to make the roads safer then we should uh, move in this direction. There's always a question about due process, and we got to respect people's charter rights. So I'm going to you know, reserve judgment a bit until we see how they actually write this up and how they plan to implement it. But uh, one of the questions uh, I think that's still outstanding from this speech, and it, it kind of touches on this issue because it's a policing issue, is just the overall relationship with the city of Winnipeg. Uh, the premier today had an opportunity to reset the relationship with the mayor, which is a very important relationship. And instead, uh, the premier took some shots at the mayor and is not talking about building a good relationship. So for people in Winnipeg, people around the province who come to Winnipeg for medical care or shopping, I think that's another thing to keep an eye on going forward is the premier and the uh, mayor's relationship. Is it going to continue to be so rocky? Okay, and your uh, throne speech from five or six days ago, almost a week ago, you mentioned it off the top, and I'll give you a chance to talk about that and uh, whatever else you want to mention here at the end, low-cost cell phone plans for people. Well, hey, I mean, the cell phone uh, carriers, they're, they're taking advantage of, of consumers in every part of the market. They're, they're getting seniors to buy plans with more data than they need. They're doing the same thing in rural Manitoba. They're selling students plans that don't have enough data, and then they hit them with the overage charges. At the end, and if you're a parent that's paying for the cell phone plan of a few kids, probably your cell phone bill's bigger than your hydro bill these days. And so affordability has to come to the forefront when it comes to cell phone plans. We're going to bring a bill forward this session that's going to take some concrete steps under the Consumer Protection Act. We hope that we get government support to do it to try and lower cell phone bills. And as we move towards the next election and we look to put our plan ahead of Manitobans, a big part of it is going to be about making cell phone bills more affordable. Wob, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. Yeah, good talking to you. Thanks, All right. Al. Thanks, Wob. Wob Canoe, NDP leader reacting to the Palliser government's throne speech today. Hal Anderson Afternoons, the podcast, is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and anywhere you find your favorite podcasts.